0: Hello and welcome to Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just critique movies, but talk about how they could be, gee, I don't know, maybe just a little better. I'm your host, Tony, and with me as always is the sea captain of fixing, my movie mutant mariner, and the best brewer of purified urine.
1: (laughs) Matt, that's me, Matt. Oh my God. That's so good. mutant mariner, I think, is going to be my new handle online.
0: Movie Mutant Mariner but movie yeah
1: Movie Mutant Mariner. That's You're my new my name. I love it.
0: Movie Mutant Mariner. Yeah, <laughs> I, I went for full alliteration on that one, baby. How you doing, Matt?
1: Um I'm okay. I'm all, I've got some sniffles today cuz of allergies, so bear with me if I'm if I sound a little gross today, but I'm here and I'm ready to talk about this amazing movie.
0: That is right. Uh this movie we are talking about is Waterworld, considered one of the most popular I guess, flops or failed movie attempts out mm-hmm. there in Hollywood?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, the movie was widely considered a flop when it came out in 95, and there's a lot going on there. There's a lot to unpack in the flop. You know, I'm using air quotes. You guys can't see it, in the flop that was Waterworld. But I think before we get into that, we'd like to see our property inspector, Jess Aducci, give us the lowdown.
0: Yeah, she's done a good job breaking that down, so let's get right to it.
2: Hey guys, I'm here to walk you through one of the most infamous properties in the movie world, water world. Okay, let's just dive right in. The whole world is covered in water, and we're introduced to Kevin Costner, who has no name, as he sails along on his boat, foraging from the sea and recycling pee for water, because that's what you do in this world. There are many dangers on the sea. There's other drifters like Costner and smokers, dudes riding around on jet skis using gasoline. We see both introduced as they come after Costner. A lot of action scenes in Waterworld involve slick racing and acrobatics on a boat, and this first action scene showcases both. Costner heads to an atoll, or a floating town, and trades dirt for supplies where we meet another main character, Helen, and her daughter, but not daughter, Enola. We learn a lot here, like towns all over are dying because of smoke or raiding parties, everyone's looking for dry land, and Enola might be the key to that because of some tattoo on her back. But when the natives discover Costner is actually a mutant with gills and webbed feet, they imprison him. Helen and a quirky scientist guy plot to leave Oz, I, I mean Waterworld, for dry land with an air balloon. But then the baddie, played by none other than wacky Dennis Hopper, rolls up with his gigantic smoker crew and a big ol' action scene goes down. The atoll is raided, Costner barely gets out because Helen and Enola get left behind, and they help him out for some safe passage on his boat, and the bad guys get blown up, but not dead and they find out about Enola having the tattoo pointing to dry land. So now it's the three of them, Costner, Helen, and Enola, on his boat. Costner's basically an ornery jerk for a long time, while Helen and Enola whine and act like a kid, respectively. At some point, he even throws the kid overboard for mouthing off. And crazy enough, she can't swim. Meanwhile, we see the baddie on some oil tanker playing king of the grease monkeys and driving cars for fun. There's too many people on the ship, so he makes finding dry land top priority. When a smoker plane finds Costner's boat, they get shot up and now they have a hole in their hole to deal with. And the pilot makes it back to tell the baddie that the girl is on board with Costner. So the baddie makes a plan to go after Costner. Then Costner and company run into another creepy drifter who barters for some private time with Helen. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, private time. But Costner can't go through with it. He defends Helen and kills the drifter. Helen, Enola, and Costner bond over some seafood and keep talking about dry land. Costner actually teaches Enola how to swim. Things are, you know, kind of awesome for this dystopian future. You know, they're a little family going on right there. Which means it's time for crap to hit the fan, right? Smokers catch up to them, but they get away. Helen really wants to know about dry land right about now, so Costner shows her. There's no dry land. There's just the land underwater. Long-forgotten cities. But smokers have found the boat while they were underwater. They take Enola and leave Helen and Costner on a burned-out boat. To have sex, I guess. Costner realizes Enola really does know where dry land is because she's been drawing things that only exist on dry land, like trees and stuff like that. And quirky scientist dude shows up in his air balloon to save them. The few survivors from the Atoll talk about dry land and Enola and whether they should keep Costner around. These people are really, really horrible people, by the way. And Costner decides to go after Enola. The baddies trying to quell his crowds with promises of dry land when Costner finds the oil tanker and sneaks on board, eventually coming right after Enola. I mean, like, walking right up to the bad guy and being like, screw you. He sets the tanker on fire and after some awesome action, crashes the plane and snags Enola. Helen has come after them with the air balloon so they all escape except the baddie's like hanging onto the rope and he gets kicked off into the water and then Enola perched precariously on the edge of the air balloon also falls into the water. Costner does a sort of bungee jump dive in to snagger again and away they go leaving the baddie to be blowed up in an explosion and he's actually dead this time. Oh and the taker they were on was the infamous Exxon Valdez. The little group on the air balloon keep going day and night in the direction the tattoo on Enola says to go because now they figured out that the tattoo is coordinates and find dry land. But Costner can't stick around because he feels too weird on dry land because he's fish man. How many times can I say dry land in a synopsis of a movie called Waterworld? All right, so... This property basically had an ambitious owner that wanted a little bit of everything, so when you walk through it you might notice a little adventure genre, some pretty tense dystopian drama, and a hefty amount of wacky Saturday afternoon action. Typically properties have a style, there's a flow to them, all the pieces work together, but it's like every room here has a different theme. So you guys might have to gut some interior design, knock down a few walls to give the property some coherence. But I actually think the foundation and large pieces of the property are surprisingly sound. But you guys will have to be the judge of that for sure. I'm really wondering how you'll shape this ship and give it real consistent presence. Good luck, guys, on your voyage through Waterworld.
0: I have to say, Jess is getting better and better at these as we go along.
1: Yeah, she's eventually just going to take over this podcast, I think.
0: Yeah, well, it's not like we're getting any better.
1: <laughs> Where's our soundboard? We need a soundboard for this podcast.
0: Yeah, because air quotes aren't exactly good audio.
1: No, people can't hear my air quotes. I wonder if I did them fast enough next to the microphone. You guys could hear them.
0: You just need to make a wish noise, and we'll know that's air quotes.
1: <laughs>
0: so, Matt, what did you think about Waterworld?
1: Okay, so like you and so many people of, of our age group, Uh, I definitely saw this movie back when it first came out in the nineties and I remember loving it as a kid or at least, you know, as much as you could love anything like this as, as a kid, but I, I I liked it a lot. So when we were going through our list of what we wanted to do for the next movie, this just felt like such a, a, you know, a, a home run for, for our show. You know, it's a, it's a problematic movie that had, you know, a lot going on for it. It seemed perfect. After re-watching it recently for this episode, I I, <laughs> I found myself accidentally loving it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I went into it fully expecting to take copious notes about this being wrong, that needing to be improved, this, you know, problem. And more often than not, I was just kind of edge of my seat watching this movie and having a blast, which... You know, I think we've talked on this podcast before about how our our biggest measure of a movie's worth nowadays is, like, did I have fun? And the truth is, I had a lot of fun with Waterworld, both when I watched it as a kid and watching it here as a grown-ass man.
0: I agree with you on that. I I, I remember liking it as a kid, all right, and I remember watching it. Well, of course I remember watching it now. I just watched it a couple days ago. One would
1: hope. Yeah, and...
0: (laughs) And, and because I remember that, I remember thinking, "Wow, you know, the the action in this is a lot more fun than I than I recalled as a kid." I now that I may I critique movies more and I kind of break them down. I could really appreciate a lot of the practical stunts that were done and that sort of adventure tone that we just don't see a lot of in movies nowadays.
1: Yeah, uh, I I actually had the pleasure of watching this with Jess, and we talked about that. About you don't really see adventure movies anymore. Um, movies are either action movies or they're comedies and there's always, I mean, the line always blurs obviously, but you don't just see like fun adventure movies anymore. And it was funny we were talking about how one of the most recent, almost adventure movies I can think of is the new Aquaman movie. Um, the whole movie isn't really an adventure movie, but there's a good chunk of it that absolutely functions as like a died in the wool adventure film and it it, i think they're so rare that we don't even recognize them anymore you know yeah and you think
0: you'd see more of that in superhero type films especially coming from the comic book age and Mm -hmm. there are a lot of adventure comic books but that's a good point this might be uh this might be something we need to see more of in our film right now because we're not getting enough but focusing on Waterworld, anything specifically that you like that stood out for you you know sticking to the positive
1: well so, you already touched on it, and I just want to reiterate it, but the, the, like, practical, fun, like, effects that are in the movie, this was done by Kevin Reynolds, who also did uh, Robin Hood, uh, I almost said Men in Tights, that's not what it's called, Prince Prince of, what was it called?
0: <laughs> Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves.
1: Prince of Thieves. So Men in Tights
0: has, is the direct parody to Prince of Thieves. Right, right, right,
1: right, right, which I've actually never seen, but that's a different story for a different time. Um, But, yeah, so so this movie and Robin Hood Prince of Thieves have very similar feels. I think as far as those practical effects, uh, this movie also reminds me quite a bit of hook uh, specifically the scenes with like the lost boys and the tree houses and all that stuff. Like you get a lot of those fun practical effects that I, I remember as a kid loving, like I wanted to have all of these things. I wanted to, to do these like weird jet ski jumps off of ramps and the like rope and pulley and Michael Jeter's like air balloon thingy. And there, there's so much exciting uh, adventure-ness in this movie that, I mean, that's the, the thing I, I take the most away from this movie was just the adventure of it all.
0: Right. I think the, and specifically what I think you're referring to is like the set design, like they built uh, in hook and also in Waterworld some really awesome sets and, and one of those for me was uh, Kevin Costner. Is his character is called the Mariner, and the Mariner has this kind of raft that is just so cool. It's he's got ropes and pulleys and all sorts of little hidden compartments for everything he needs to just stay on the water as long as and possible. And he's always like,
1: you know, grabbing a rope and flinging himself to the other side of his ship kicking
0: a panel and and he's got that weird like
1: console thing that comes out and then he's got like reverse gears that he's moving and it just it feels so tactile you can't help but just want to be on the set and play with everything
0: i would say it's it's almost as complex as like a really well-designed starship in a movie you know something where somebody runs around and like pulls levers and switches and kicks things and Mm -hmm. and and that's what it felt like this was very much a starship to me and i really really enjoyed
1: that i agree Other things I really liked, I think some of the casting really works in this movie. Um, I mentioned Michael Jeter a a second ago. He plays this, like, I guess the closest thing they have to, like, a scientist in this futuristic world where, you know, everything's really primitive again. But, you know, he's the one that builds this blimp and he's the one researching the, the... The history or the, I guess the, the possibility of dry land and, and he's really great in that role. I think Kevin Costner for the most part is pretty great in his role. I think he's a little too stoic maybe, but he definitely plays that part. Well, Dennis Hopper playing, uh, the Deacon or playing Deacon, Mm -hmm. I think he's, he's, he's great you, you, if you're going to have a really stoic hero like the Mariner, you've got to have kind of a ridiculous villain, and he delivers on that front for sure.
0: I agree 100%. Um, I think it was good that he was as stoic as he was so that all of the other livelier players can play off him. There's, mm-hmm. of course, the child who is the nonstop talker and, and the annoying you know, one, and uh, her not-mom that... You know, is the one that looks after her that's sort of always nagging him to be more like attentive or just, you know, notice them and, and talk about stuff. So, like, she calls him out on his stoicness, mm-hmm. or the two of them do. And it, it gives more like kind of narrative worth to their characters. Whereas if he had a bit more personality, they might have just been annoying or extra weight.
1: Yeah. And I thought she was okay. The, the, the not mom character, she was, Mm -hmm. she was, she was okay. Um, I think a different actress in that role might've made that role really memorable. Um, but she, you know, she held her own. I guess the truth is there wasn't any really like acting missteps in this movie. Nobody like stood out to me as cringe worthy, but, uh, Oh actually while we're on the subject of actors, did you catch, uh, Jack Black in this movie?
0: Yeah, that's one of his first films if I recall.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. I didn't recognize him right away cuz I don't even think he has dialogue. I think he just kind of grunt, grunts maybe. Yeah. He might have and he's had in, like, a dialogue in a, lot and a... Of makeup. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any dialogue in the in the extended cut. I can confirm that. Oh, okay. But uh he yeah, it was crazy just like hey, there's Jack Black in Waterworld in 1995. How crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: fun stuff. So what what fell flat? We always have to cover this. Uh, For me, it's not a long list. But what do you think uh, just didn't hold up for you?
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I again, I just there's things I could nitpick, obviously, in this movie. And I think part of that's just the the time period, like these kinds of movies in, in the 90s weren't given the sort of attention they are today, like attention to detail that they are today. So there's all sorts of things you could nitpick. But in general, most of the movie worked. Um, things that didn't work. I th- like we said, the action adventure part of this movie, obviously, I think worked for both of us really well. Uh, it, there are times when they're trying to be more of like a sci-fi movie, like a hard sci-fi, and it just doesn't quite work out. I think that was a little half-baked and underdeveloped. Yeah, it just it feels, and for good reason, it feels like there was so much more they wanted to do that they didn't get to do. Uh, and you you find out when you see the like the extended cut that just recently came out of this movie that there was so much more that they worked on and it's like it's almost like the movie begged to be more than just a movie and i think that that's really where the movie falls short the most is feeling not quite as full as it needs to be does that make sense am i explaining that well at all
0: yeah it's it's sort of the opposite of what um, maybe happened in Pacific Rim, the last movie, Fixer movie we did, where we said it it felt like the creator had this whole world they tried to cram into one movie. This one just, stripped out a lot of that world and it's it's hard with these unique epics you want to tell where you've got a world and you've got answers in the back of your mind for why everything is the way it is but you can only you have to give the audience a a congruent story if it's going to be in the format of a movie if it's not a television show or a novelization where you could really like deep dive into all the little details you've got to like pick and choose what you show and i I think it's just it's difficult to get that a hundred percent right but waterworld Waterworld well, comes close, in my opinion.
1: Totally agree. What what else didn't work for you? What fell flat?
0: So, and this is one that I think we have to forgive, but I'm going to call it out. There is uh, a lot of good practical effects in here, and because it was like 1990s, 1995 is when this came out, the CGI was just it's it's just so painful to look at now. It's it's like Saturday morning reboot painful at times, and then just when they had to like. Can you give
1: an example? Because I'm trying to remember now. Uh, like a CGI scene and all I can think of are practical scenes in this movie.
0: It's not so much a scene. It's just, there was a like character generated fish that he hunts. Like he basically has some blood on him. So he like dangles himself off his boat and drags himself as bait with a giant double-edged spear. And this fish comes up and noms him. It's, it's so quick. And I just sort of went, ah, shucks. That was, terrible like it, it, it didn't ruin the movie for me it was just like yep that's what these effects used to look like and and in the rest i don't know if this was this isn't really kind of cgi but there were a few shots that obviously had to be green screened
1: what would have been blue screen in 95 probably
0: yes thank you you were correct <laughs> and it's it's so important for us to to acknowledge and
1: well, that's what we're I just, here for.
0: I, I, it just really called it out because they were usually on location. It was so beautiful, and then you get these horrible throat. And it, it's necessary sometimes. So I'm not even really like saying it's like the movie falters for that. But it's it's just yet again more proof that practical effects live longer mm-hmm. uh, over time. So well, if you
1: and in that vein, you're talking about on location. I, that's something that I think we really should have driven home in the what works section of this they filmed on open water so much of this movie which was part of the bane of this movie it's part of why hurricanes destroyed the sets more than once and why you know set pieces kept drifting away like i'm sure it was a complete nightmare to film but because they filmed on open water these sets have this lasting effect where it was shot in the 90s but it still works it doesn't feel like modern Movies with like digital set extensions, it, you know this. You you felt like you were in Waterworld. Mm-hmm.
0: It it was it was more believable because they they took the effort and spent the money to to make it look that way. And that's not to say that the digital sets and effects don't take effort and money. I don't want to be condescending. For sure. I just with that technology always growing, it's usually within a decade whatever you did is considered outdated and unbelievable right so I, I maybe it'll peak at some point we g- i feel like we've got to be getting close i
1: th- i think we're we're approaching a peak you know we look at like we talk about the marvel movies a lot on this podcast so many of those movies are done with very minimal sets and like expansive set extensions like digitally and maybe it's just cuz we're so used to it we don't see it now but i also think that they they look so convincing now maybe you're right maybe 10 years from now we're going to be wondering what the hell is, you know, going on with these Marvel movies looking so tacky.
0: <laughs> we, we won't even. Yeah, right. And then the movies today, we won't have, we even know if they're live action or not. It's like, how do you know?
1: We're already kind of at that point. You know, the line between what's considered live action and animated is blurring so much. But that's a different podcast for a different day. That is
0: a different podcast. Um, Something else I, I want to. I want to come back to Waterworld uh, and something that fell flat for me. The, um, the the villain was great, Dennis Hopper, and he also had kind of like a number two who was sort of like a bulky, blonde-haired rival that you expected Kevin Costner to fight. And even at one point, when the girl is kidnapped, she's talking up Kevin Costner, the Mariner, and just how badass he is and how she's going to kill this guy and you're just waiting for this confrontation like he's waiting for it the other guy he's kind of getting he's getting drunk and getting a little freaked out and it was just such an anticlimactic like encounter basically he comes up behind kevin costner after we've forgotten about him goes to shoot him and his guns out of ammo which i don't quite understand because kevin costner is the only one they've been shooting at this whole time right and then and then kevin costner shoots him back I, like you do it's 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 it was just sort of like i kind of wanted more of a struggle like the adventure struggle there the swashbuckling on the ledge kind of bit yeah and i and so i thought okay well they're going to give us that with dennis hopper's character who's no like he's pretty scary looking dude too mm-hmm. and There's kind of like a chase because he's got the girl, and Kevin Costner's chasing him. He's ziplining off the oil rig down after the airplane that's trying to take off, and he stops it. And then you think there's going to be a scuffle, but no, they just get away on the airship. Uh, Then Dennis Hopper shows up again. He's grabbed him, and you think it's going to be like Batman where Joker's hanging on to him, and they're hanging off the the zipline on the church ledge. But no, he just... They just like throw something at him on the boat. He falls. The jet skis are coming, are trying to chase after him. Accidentally collide into each other and all explode. Like like very Looney Tunes. Like. Oh, for sure. And I was just it's it was it's just another example of how like the tone sometimes can be silly like that. And then other times, like after, you know, Dennis Hopper's crew is like murdered this like water town. You're seeing like dead kids on the ground and stuff. And I'm just like, guys, this is you got to like decide. Are you going to be like a dark apocalyptic kind of thing? Like, you know, Road Warrior, or are you going to be like an over the top crazy adventure like right. beyond Thunderdome? Well, you, and, know? you know,
1: a lot of that is so my my kind of measuring stick for these sorts of things are like how many people are credited as like the writer or the story or things like that. And this is one of those movies that went through so many revisions. It was originally conceived as like a kid's movie. And obviously we kind of got a little far away from that. Joss Whedon was brought on board at one point to do rewrites. Like it was just, it it went through so many rewrites that you start to lose like a unified voice. And I think, where that hurts a movie the most is in its tone. And it's like we said, some parts of this movie feel like a swashbuckling, you know, adventure film, classic adventure film. Some feel like they're trying to make it like a hard sci-fi movie and really talk about what the future would be like, you know, after the, all the ice caps have melted, you know, not to mention the fact that if all the ice caps melted, it would only raise the sea level by like 30 feet or something like that. That's a different thing. But, but yeah, I just can't quite figure out what kind of movie it wants to be to the point where and you you mentioned this before we started recording today, like the the like weird obligatory not really a sex scene but implied sex scene which just feels so out of place and it, it it's probably because one person was like, well, we need to show that they've developed affections for each other and this is how we're going to do it. And it's like, no, that's not we don't have to jump to that. There's better ways to handle the you know, affection between characters. Right.
0: But, you know, keeping in mind of the times, it was the mid nineties and everything had to have like your, your passion romance had to be just a part of it. And there were a lot of, I think the mentality was, well, women
1: won't watch this movie if it doesn't have this scene. And it was just like, so erroneous, so erroneous. But I think that was the mentality of of the mid nineties cinema. Wait,
0: you're telling me women will watch a movie if there's not a romance between a guy and a girl in it. And he's like nice to a kid.
1: Apparently, wow.
0: <laughs> if we actually have any uh, female listeners, I apologize for my sarcasm. But
1: <laughs> your wife doesn't even listen. I can't say anything. Oh God, my, no. My husband doesn't listen <laughs> to this podcast either. Of course not. <laughs> oh. Watch this be the first one that either of them listen to. Oh, that we'll we'll see. Hello.
0: <laughs> All right. I feel like we're being extra silly here, but this movie just inspires it in me. Um, I think we've listed everything like we liked, kind of broad strokes. Uh-huh. Everything that fell flat, just a few few small things. Maybe a little bit better of a villain fight at the end. Uh, that would definitely fall into the category of one thing I would change. I would I would have a little bit more of a, an action confrontation with either Dennis Hopper's character and Kevin Costner or the just the big hulky guy. They were they were kind of building up for that and he Costner does this great bit in the the start of the the final action scene where he's like stealthing through this old oil tanker it's their base with all their men uh-huh. and he's just taking guys out in stealth left and right and that was like that was fun. It's like, oh yeah, he's cool. Look at him. But you know, eventually he's got to have that moment where he just comes face to face in the standoff. And the like, there needed to be a catwalk that was falling apart that they were like punching and swinging, st- taking swings at each other. And and I just, I, I don't know why. I just, I really wanted that. It felt like it belonged in this film. And instead, we just got sort of a quick bang. You're dead.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You're, you're right. They did such a good job building up our hero and building up our villains and and even sort of building up to this confrontation that felt inevitable but didn't even happen you're right that we almost that we needed that we needed a little bit more of that anything else that you feel like you would change or or fix in this one man i don't it's hard to say because like i said when i sat down to watch it again i at no point did i think like this is so bad this needs to be fixed like i just found myself enjoying the movie for most of the movie and man it's so hard to say so, so let me
0: broach an idea to you. Then I think what we need to do is we need to look at why this movie, in its heyday, was considered a flop, considered a failure as a movie, and is still kind of famously known as one. Like I, I, I know some of the some of what was said during the time, and I remember it had to do with the fact that the budget was so high and its original like take home, especially like in theaters did not even come close and so that must mean that it was a bad movie but i think we should look at why people say it was bad and then what maybe how we should adjust our perceptions because i don't think this is necessarily a bad movie i don't think we need to necessarily fix water world i think we need to fix the perception of water world i think
1: you're right sense? yeah for sure um to start things off i want to say something a flop is not necessarily a bad movie. I think we equate those two things together, but a flop by definition is just a movie that didn't make back its money. And, and by definition, by, by an order of magnitude, like there's one, there's one thing of like falling short of your, of what you spend, but there's another thing altogether for like not even getting in the ballpark. And I think with this movie, you're right. The budget was exorbitant. Kevin Costner, I think spent, like $20 million of his own movie on the budget in this movie. And that's not even what the studio put forward. So like a lot of money went into this movie and this movie was hemorrhaging money too, because like we said earlier, it was filmed on open water with these expansive, like real world practical sets that, uh, hurricanes destroyed, which, you know, not only means you've got to rebuild those sets, but you've got cast and crew that you have to house, until you know you can get back into production and just like the movie just kept costing money and where that became i think a big problem for this movie was all these behind the scenes problems were getting pushed to the you know to the forefront were being you know broadcast and talked about so we talk about how your preconceptions of a movie definitely affect your eventual, like, perception of a movie, right? So if the trailer is bad or you don't like this actor or if, you know, this director is in the press right now from some scandal, like, those are things that sort of have nothing to do with the actual movie, but they definitely affect your perception. And I think Waterworld was an early example of, I mean, this was before social media was, like, a thing, but it was definitely being talked about about how, you know, this movie was, you know, well on its way to being a flop because of you know these problems behind the scenes. And I think those sorts of things affected the eventual reception of this movie and the turnout and the box office for this movie. It's important to point out that Waterworld, in, in hindsight, is not an actual flop because it did eventually earn its money back. It didn't earn it, obviously, in opening weekend. I don't even think it earned it in its original theatrical run. But um, by the time you factor in Uh, eventually home video sales and TV rights and um, whatever, what's that word? Distribution rights. The movie made its money back. I, I I might look it up real quick, but I want to say it took until 2000 something. I want to say like 2005 for it to finally break even, but it did break even. And that's something to think about with modern movies is we, we tend to think make or break terms for, of opening weekend, But movies live on well past their opening weekend, and that's nothing to shit at. Oh, here we go. As of 2013, the film has actually earned a profit of $8 million, which, you know, again, not a ton, but the fact that they've broken even is great.
0: And the fact that a lot of people like individually invested, like Kevin Costner, that's going to be coming back to them. Yeah, you know, a lot. It's going to be worth the time, I think, in the end. And I think it was a passion project for them. So you you've made a really excellent point here. A flop does not equal a bad movie. And also, ultimately, in the end, Waterworld isn't a flop, even if it's
1: uh, still maybe historically perceived as one, just mm-hmm. in in the public image. Another recent movie that I think reminds me of this is the 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 most recent star wars film that came out the the han solo like i almost called it a biopic he's not a real person (laughs) but the hans he's not no oh my god tony i'm so sorry um yeah the solo movie was another movie that well before it even hit theaters before most people had even seen the movie there was so especially nowadays with social media it's like it's it's pervasive it's everywhere was talking about how because i think it was a uh Chris Lord and Phil Miller that were the original directors and they ended up leaving the project and Ron Howard came in and there was all this hullabaloo about how he had to reshoot 3 quarters of the movie and that the main guy a- Anson Anson whoever played Han Solo there was so many stories about how you know he was just not a very good actor and none of the actors liked working with him and you know they had to redo so many of his scenes and it was just with that much negativity before a film, you know, I, I was talking to Jess about this the other day, a lot of people only have so much time and so much money to devote to going to see movies, especially in theaters, especially like opening weekend or the you know first couple weekends run. So you have to make your decisions about whether you want to see a movie. Based on things that have almost nothing to do with the movie. You have to base it on the trailer, which, you know, like we've said before, sometimes is indicative of the film you're going to watch. Sometimes isn't. But sometimes you mm-hmm. got to make a, a call based on, like, what are the Rotten Tomatoes scores? You know, what are your, fr- your co-workers saying about it? Things like that. And if a movie like Solo or like Waterworld has all these negativity going into it, you might say, eh, I'll wait and watch that one later. Which ultimately affects that opening weekend, affects those first few weeks, and determines whether a movie's a flop or not. And Solo's another one that, when it came down to it, it didn't do great when it opened, but it wasn't a bad movie. And and Solo also
0: suffered from a lot of people not appreciating The Last Jedi, which we've also movie fixed and then not wanting to see Solo just because it was coming out so soon after. So for maybe not Waterworld, but maybe so, I don't I don't remember what else was coming out, things coming out around the movie can affect your opinion because the truth is, is a lot of those things you named like critic scores and the trailer, they seem like they should be fairly straightforward things to let you know if you want to see a movie or not, but a trailer can be edited one way to give you an impression and critic scores on things like Rotten Tomatoes are biased because they don't show everyone's opinion and they can well and squash... like rotten
1: tomatoes is like an aggregator so it's, mm-hmm. it's it's not really like you're getting one person's informed opinion you're getting the the average of several people's varying degrees of informed opinion
0: mm-hmm. and rotten tomatoes has control over what opinions are seen and what opinions aren't because it's their place they're allowed to do that so mm-hmm. they may be they may have interest to show some opinions and not others to either make the movie seem better or worse than it is. And you just have to be ready to look at sites like that. I'm, I'm not picking on Rotten Tomatoes like they're horrible right. specifically. but I still like Rotten they're... Tomatoes.
1: I, I use it as my like starting point.
0: Mm-hmm, I look at what exactly. it says and
1: I think like, oh, okay, I'd, I'd like to know more based on that starting point. Exactly. And in the
0: meantime... The studios are looking and the distributors are looking at presale tickets and opening weekend as whether or not a movie is a flop or not. So that it's it's really hard to, to judge by that scale anymore because it may not do well out the gate, but that's probably for a lot of reasons that don't involve whether the movie is actually good or not. And with that, that said, and I think really established now, what could we do – for Waterworld today to give it another chance?
1: So I, I the whole time I was watching it, all I could think of is I, I live for, like, series nowadays. Like, I love a good series that can really take its time with developing characters and worlds and things like that. And Waterworld begs to be made into a series. Maybe not, like... An ongoing, eventually seven seasons. Although I, per, I, I definitely think there's enough there that they could do something like that. But even if it was just like a ten part, uh, mini series event on, you know, Netflix or we always talk about Netflix or HBO. I think because they they're just producing generally good stuff. But I don't know AMC, hell TNT, like one of these like cable channels turning it into like a 10 part series or an eight part series or whatever, so that you can really kind of build that world, build the mystery of dry land, build the mystery of the Mariner. You could slowly kind of reveal that, you know, he has, he's got gills. Like, is he, is he like a one-off? Are there more of his kind? Which is something that the end of this movie teases is that the, you know, he's heard story of more like mutant people and I, I don't know, you could just really develop the, the mythos of Deacon. And we didn't talk about this in the podcast yet, but like you find out eventually that the reason that the smokers all have like gasoline jet skis and boats and things like that is because their headquarters is the Exxon Valdez, which in 1995 was like a super topical oil spill sort of thing. I wonder if kids today saw this movie would like literally not get that joke at, at all. <laughs> But yeah, I I don't know, I just kind of, with these sort of sci-fi adventure films, I just nowadays think that's the best sort of television we're seeing, so I would love to see this made into a television series.
0: I like that. I, I like your, your limited series, uh, I, specifically the idea of that. I was thinking just more along the lines of, could they reboot this story into a new film and still let it maintain that that adventure that we that we loved and and just stay true to the concept and would it still hold up or do you think they just did the best they could do already as a film for this one?
1: Hmm. Um. Yeah. I think so. I think I think it could be done better. It, again, it's like we said. I feel like the the answer to that is either embrace it. As a like a campy adventure film, and not really worry about the 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 sciency parts of it, and just have have it be like a um, Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, swashbuckling good time movie, or develop it. I don't know. Maybe this wouldn't work. I was gonna say maybe develop it more as like a high you know sci-fi film, kind of in the vein of the Total Recall reboot or the. Um, what was the other one that came out of oh, the Judge Dredd reboot? Things like that. So but I don't know if I like that idea that I, that I think about it. I don't know that this movie warrants a like hard sci fi reboot.
0: I think there could be a happy medium. I think when you make a series, it can explore the world, the water world, if you will, in more detail, <laughs> but keep a lot of the. You know, adventure can be camp, but I don't think all of the this movie's like adventurous moments were camp. Some of it was just like very like high performance. You know, they're zip lining around. They're sli- they're using jet skis to head off ramps to get over walls. It's it. I, I don't even know if that's camp as much as just we're showing off a lot of like cool action. You know, like keep that kind of cool like style, but just go more in depth in the world in between and. And maybe, yeah, you've got your bad guys and they're larger than life and, yeah, they do bad things, but we don't need to, like, hold on some of the more, like, torturous moments that are usually saved for, like, a gritty, darker, you know, this is how it really is. I mean, none of it's how it really is, but it, you're right, That that's when it throws me is when you see, like you know, people, like, emaciated to, like, mere bones. And like I said earlier, dead children in the movie. It's like, this just isn't really on brand with everything else happening in this movie. Mm -hmm. And it sort of... It sort of distracts. It's like, okay, I see that. And then I see two jet skis crash into each other because they were, like, Looney Tunes not paying attention. And I'm supposed to, like... I'm supposed to laugh at that while feeling sorry for this other thing. Like, you can't... You can't tug me both directions so hard. Like, say more moderate and in the middle on both sides. And I think you can you can find the feel of your world. Yeah, for sure. I, ironically, I think our fix is more of a a re, a re remake, a remodel of the existing property, which personally I think is fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's hard to, to talk about a fix for this movie because I don't really know what I'd want to change about this exact movie. I will say having seen... So the whole reason we decided to do... Waterworld was because they just released the, um, extended, it was originally just like a fan edit that was being passed around the internet, but it now has an official release, um, through, I think it's called Apex Video, something like that. But it's, you know, it has the original theatrical version. It has the, uh, the TV, original TV cut, which was like a 40 minute longer cut, With, but it has all the like, it's all censored and stuff. And then there's the, what's called the Ulysses cut of this movie, which is the TV cut with all the extra stuff added in, not censored at all. And it's called the Ulysses cut because the end of the movie finally names Kevin Costner's character Ulysses. I actually really recommend, and if I'm going to recommend something this week, maybe this is what I'm going to recommend. I really like the extended cut of this movie a lot. It fixes some of the problems we've talked about today by just kind of spending more time. And because it's the TV cut that's edited into two parts, it feels like you're watching like a mini series event, which works for this movie, like really actually works for this movie. Mm hmm. So that was the whole reason, listeners, that we decided to do Waterworld, was because they just released this special extended cut of the movie. And I I like it. It doesn't make it a perfect movie, but it definitely, I think, makes it more enjoyable overall. Yeah. And
0: I know we're movie fixers, and usually we go in these to fix movies. But to be perfectly honest, just to give you a little bit of an insight on how the sausage is made, is we didn't rewatch the original cut of Waterworld and say we should fix that, we thought to ourselves, Hmm, does that hold up? Let's yeah. go find out. So sometimes, uh, not all the time, but sometimes we may come into, uh, an idea that we're going to fix a movie and we're like, you know what? No, no, that one's okay. And you may not agree with this. In fact, what I loved about our last movie fix, uh, Pacific Rim was that we had commenters say, you don't need to be fixing this movie. This movie is fine as it is. It's perfect and campy and I love it. And, uh, what I want to say to them is great.
1: Right. I have full respect for that.
0: Yeah. I, you do not have to take our fixes as, as mandatory. If you love it, it's still there for you. We just we just love doing this. I mean, Matt and I are going to be looking at these things no matter what. I actually had a conversation with Chrissy, uh, my wife, about how whenever I watch a movie, I'm always on. Like, my mind is always kind of, like, tweaking. And I I like that because when I'm enjoying a movie, I I see what I'm loving about it in the moment. And when I don't like a movie... That I'm watching, I can kind of just fall back and go, okay, well, I'm not enjoying this, but let's stop and look at why and still kind of get an experience out of it. So to some people, that sounds terrible, but for better or for worse, that's just how my brain's wired. So I figure why not make a podcast where we do what we do all the time.
1: I think that's one thing you and I have bonded on in, God, almost 20 years of friendship is we're just, that's how we watch movies.
0: So that said, if you liked Waterworld like we did, or if you didn't like Waterworld, let us know. We have a comment section uh, on Facebook and on our website, 30something.digital, and I check those things. You
1: can also comment on iTunes, which we certainly wouldn't say no to. That would be nice.
0: Can they comment on individual episodes, or can they just give us a review on the podcast?
1: That's a great question that actually you probably know more than I do, because I don't listen to as many podcasts as you
0: (laughs) I'm pretty sure they can give us a review, which I would totally like uh, if you did. Giving us uh, any review, even a bad one, uh, just kind of helps get us out there. But please don't give us a bad one.
1: Yeah, if you're going to give a review at all, make it good, preferably. But you know what? If if all you can muster is a bad review, we'll take that, too. I'd love to know <laughs> why.
0: So, Matt, speaking of reviews, is there anything you want to
1: recommend that you like like our audience to check out? Um, Man, so... <sighs> I earlier I said, I've been watching a lot more movies this week. I I say a lot. I haven't been watching a lot of movies, but I've watched a few movies. None of them I can really recommend. Um, I watched vice and I watched, uh, Oh God, what did I just finish watching? It was the same filmmaker. I think, Oh, Fox. What was it called? Fox something. Anyways, it was uh, a Foxcatcher. Foxcatcher. That's what it was. Uh, they're both, they're both like biopics. Uh, they're both interesting. They're very tonal. I don't know. I liked them. Okay. Uh, I, It's a, it's a good example of, we were talking about earlier, like a Rotten Tomatoes review. Both of those movies have really high Rotten Tomatoes scores, but I don't know a lot of people in my life that would really genuinely enjoy those movies because they're, they're just very, they're, they're a little slow on purpose. They're very like, um, uh, they're, one of them reminded me a lot of Magnolia, which is one of my favorite movies that a lot of people don't care for, but it's because they, they, they kind of set this pace. That's very purposeful in the beginning and it's about kind of watching these characters develop and not necessarily about getting a very satisfying story. So um, that being said, something I have been watching that I don't think we've actually plugged on this show, but we certainly should is the new star Trek discovery series, which is in its second season right now and is just blowing it out of the water. These last two episodes have been really good if you're a star trek fan and you've been on the fence about picking up discovery first of all i understand your hesitation it is a beloved property to me as well but i'm very much glad that we've been sticking with it because season one i think ultimately proved itself but season two is like in a different stratosphere and it's been fantastic an absolutely great series and i can't recommend it enough if you're a fan of that universe
0: I would agree hundred percent on that as well. I'm just agreeing with you all day today. This is a really easy podcast for me. Right. <laughs> Discovery is is as as a hardcore Star Trek fan going back, Discovery is really good. It's and, and I didn't even I don't even know, really care what like I'm gonna say that one more time. <laughs> I, I I personally don't like it when a show tries to go in the middle of its timelines, so we've got Next Generation, Voyager, all of that, we've got the original series, we've got Enterprise, and now this is wedged in there before the next generation, or not the next generation, the original series and Enterprise, and I was really on the fence about that, because you start to play with a lot of pre-established canon, but Mm -hmm. I believe they, for the most part, respect it. Uh-huh. And they make they make deviations from the format of the other shows and deviations from maybe some of the lighter canon for the sake of making a better current show. And if you can appreciate that and you're not too, like, locked into the existing doctrine, then you're going to have an awesome time. And if you just want more of the same, well, all of it's on uh, CBS All Access now, so you can just watch all the original shows there, too.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, what about you? You uh, obviously you're also recommending Discovery. What else do you have to recommend for this week?
0: Well, the first thing I have to recommend is you specifically. You need to be watching Robin Hood Men in Tights. What is wrong with you, my dog?
1: <laughs> Man, I can't believe that came back to bite me in the ass. <laughs> I'm
0: just I, I let it go for the sake of finishing the podcast. But now I have to come down on you. That is, go ahead and watch Prince of Thieves again if you haven't watched it in a while. So I just
1: rewatched Prince of Thieves recently because it's on Netflix. And I was just kind of like looking for a background movie and like happens with me so many times, the background movie ended up becoming the foreground movie. And I just rewatched the whole damn thing.
0: Definitely like a straight up just parody of that, along with kind of having Men in Tights has a lot of references to all of Mel Brooks's other films. Just so many. And I think I've shown you enough Mel Brooks now that you'll get most of them. But the final challenge I have for you, Matt, and we'll, we'll cover this on the next podcast is between Prince of Thieves and Men in Tights. After you've watched both, you have to tell me who does the better King Richard.
1: Fascinating. Can you, mm-hmm. can you spoil for me who plays King Richard? I don't want to. Minute? Okay. That's fine. So, so, you know, and so the viewers know, our listeners know, I just bought it on iTunes while we were talking. So it's it's happening. Maybe not mm-hmm. right this second, but it's happening soon.
0: So, yeah, next podcast, Matt should go ahead and give us a quick review on who did King Richard better in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves versus Robin Hood, Men in Tights. And in that
1: podcast, if you oh, haven't looked it up, I'll share. Who damn it, is. it. Sorry. The the iTunes synopsis just totally spoiled it for me. Oh, I feel like God. I already know the answer to the question now. <laughs> you read
0: everything.
1: I no, my eye just went to it. I, I wasn't even reading the synopsis. It was just on the screen.
0: Audience, am I the only one with that friend that's on IMDb the whole time you're watching something? I'm not even on
1: IMDb right now. Actually, that's a lie. I'm (laughs) totally on IMDb right
0: now. All right. So I should probably recommend um, something to the podcast, and it's actually something you recommended to me. So this is just coming full circle. I have caught up with uh, the current show, Doom Patrol. It is a DC live-action show, which I was hesitant about because DC's live-action Titans is terrible to me. I just, I do not enjoy it at all uh, for lots of reasons, but I was uh, disappointed in that. And so when they came out with one for Doom Patrol, which is sort of the Guardians of the Galaxy as far as how relevant they are in the DC universe. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, in the comic books, like you've never heard of them until this thing. But just like the Guardians of the Galaxy, they're kind of this great band of misfits, not in space, but uh, more supernatural misfits. Uh, You've got a lot of great actors, Timothy Dalton, Alan Tudyk, Brendan Fraser, and um, a whole bunch of a whole bunch of cast. And so far, it's been that right amount of silly, but kind of like a dark comedy and performances and story are really just keeping me intrigued. So there are, I think, six or eight episodes somewhere in there in, and they've got a couple more left. If you've got the access to the DC Universe app, because everybody's streaming their own thing now, it might be worth even just signing up for the free trial to check it out.
1: Yeah, I've only seen the pilot, but I I enjoyed the pilot quite a bit, and I'm I'm glad to hear that you liked more of it, because it, it has a lot going for it. It had, like you said, great cast. I was blown away by the photography in that pilot episode. I was like, wow, the whole series is going to look this pretty. Then sometimes a really pretty show is enough to carry me through a few episodes of poor character development and world building. I think one of the things that really sells me
0: is while it does have like that, that really stylized look, it's also very aware of itself. One of the, the villain played by Alan Tudyk does the whole fourth wall break and will Because he narrates the beginning and ends of the episodes and then fourth wall breaks because you'll see him in the scene narrating to you and the other characters around him will be like, what are you doing right now? And it's very kind of Deadpool, but it's unique enough that I think it's its own fourth wall break and I love it and I love Alan
1: Tudyk. So it's it's just all hitting my buttons. I I know you said buttons, but I totally heard buttons and I was like, wow, this show's really working for you. (laughs) i
0: you know i'll say both it's hitting my buns and hitting my buttons it's a a good show i'm just going to commit to it and
1: and that's how we rate shows from now on change approved all right well i think that's our episode for this week we've made some really good recommendations um i'm really happy with our talk about Waterworld. it was a it was a fine movie (laughs) that honestly needs very little of our help
0: nope but you should all check it out again if you get the chance
1: absolutely and uh check out the the extended version for sure i really really recommend if you if you're even a passing fan of Waterworld, i i think checking i will say it's a commitment because it's like three hours in one minute i think but like <laughs> i said it's it's divided into two parts so you could feasibly watch one one night and one another night if you want to break that up just a little bit but that's our episode for this week uh
0: tone you want to give our credits Yes, as always, I'm your host, Tony, along with me, my co-host, Matt. Hello. Executive, <laughs> executive producers are Hayden Smith and Kristen Faith, who don't have to watch the show because they make it possible. And by watch, I mean listen. <laughs> uh, our recap, Property Scouts, uh, is done by Jess Aducci, who, like we said, is just getting better and better. We love her for that. And our artwork is provided by Nick Aducci, who is super creative and talented in his own right. Other than that, we just want to say thanks for listening and sticking this out with us, and we'll see you next time. Matt, do we want to tell them what movie we're doing?
1: I'd love to tell them what movie we're doing, but I'm honestly not entirely sure what movie we're doing. Do you know what movie we're doing?
0: Well, I have been trying to get Matt to get get us back on the Star Wars kick. I secretly started this just so I could tear apart the Star Wars prequels, and... I'm I'm only Phantom menaced my way in, so I would really like to do Attack of the Clones if you think you can stomach it.
1: I'm into it. It sounds perfect. Alright, let's do it. We'll attack those clones on the next episode. <laughs> oh my <Vixers>. god. <laughs> yes,
0: see you guys in another two weeks.
1: Alright. Thank you guys for
0: listening. See ya. Bye.